0: He seemed greatly delighted to feel the water, and chuckled to himself, sometimes even croaking in a sort of song. The cold hard lands, they bites our hands, they gnaws our feet. The rocks and stones are like old bones, all bare of meat. But stream and pool is wet and cool, so nice for feet. And now we wish. (laughs) Ha ha! What does we wish? He said, looking sidelong at the hobbits. We'll tell you, he croaked. He guessed it long ago. Baggins guessed it. A glint came into his eyes. And Sam, catching the gleam in the darkness, thought it far from pleasant. Alive without breath, as cold as death, never thirsting, ever drinking, clad in mail, never clinking, drowns on dry land, thinks an island is a mountain, thinks a fountain is a puff of air, so sleek, so fair, what a joy to meet, we only wish to catch a fish, so juicy, sweet. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Josh Rice, and here with me again is my brother, Jake. Say hey. 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 There he is. So today we are going to be talking about chapter two of book four. This one's called "The Passage of the Marshes," and uh, I'm going to do no preamble. I'm going to kick it to you, Jake, and you can maybe that will be an omen this time that I'll kick it to you for uh, giving us the narrative. So yeah, run with it. Um,
1: <laughs> Frodo and Sam pass through the marshes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, it's, (laughs) I mean, mean, admittedly, admittedly, uh, this is a tough chapter. One of the, I think one of the toughest ones, I think we have some good nuggets. Um, but, but narratively really it's, um, I think it's, I think the build is continuing to establish personalities and relationship bonds as they go through the marshes, as they encounter trials in the marshes. Because um, most of they they do they do come out of the MN Wheel, but most of the time in this chapter is spent navigating um, the marshes, heading southeast uh, towards towards Mordor, hmm. um, and and you know really the the things that happen are all kind of relational, conversational, other than the uh, the winged Nazgul that fly over,
0: right? Which has kind of become a constant specter. At this point, mm-hmm. they're yeah. they're they're in and out all the time, and I think I think that's yeah. to remind us of Sauron's eye. They're they're kind of the personification of it. Um, so yeah. something we don't do often is, I think it is probably good when we start to kind of set a mood geographically on this one because when you it, it's funny and I think right. I mean, as far as if you're just talking about like what is this story about um, this chapter is probably one of the simplest is as far as what actually happens in the chapter to progress the story, which is they go through the marshes. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is important though, to not lose that they are the dead marshes and that it's stinky bog with, it looks like poisonous slime on the rocks. He, he describes it as livid. He, he talks about, you know, stuff vomited out of the earth in this chapter. Um, a lot of language like that, that's try to make you feel, I think grossed out or a little bit sickened. Mm -hmm. And then, and then kind of in the, in the midst of it, there's these ghostly lights that come out of the, out of the mirrors and the pools that have Mm -hmm. like, you know, the specter of, of fallen soldiers, orcs and and elves and men that are in the pools. And so that, that kind of sets the mood is that this is a really awful place. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think because of that, like, most of what happens in this chapter is pretty awful. Like really. It's 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 a real mm-hmm. downer. Um and so we don't do that often. I think I think that it's easy to miss probably that the geography is really important to what Tolkien is trying to do in this chapter. And I don't think either one of us could quite put our finger on it until, you know, we were we were kind of pre-gaming and I don't know, you cracked the code for me. Um so <laughs> It's since you did it. It's it's probably yeah. good for you to kind of get us going. I know you wanted to talk. Yeah. There's a, there's a poem that happens really, a song that happens early, and so yeah, why don't you just bundle that all into one? What did you see here? Yep. What do you want to yeah, say? I about I think so. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think so. I want to respond a little bit to to that because I do think like the specter, and we'll I'm, uh, we'll probably touch on it more. I think the specter of the Black Riders is also. I think it's it's to bring the threat and the terror of Sauron um, to, I think that his eye is watchful. I think it's also to remind us that we are clearly in enemy territory. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like they're, they're, you know, they make one appearance in the previous chapter. Um, They fly over three times in this chapter. Uh, And, and so I think, you know, and their wheel, like they fly over and wheel around, (laughs) like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think it's a reminder of that. And, and and again, to your point, the geography here matters because like part of, part of the power of Sauron's stronghold in Mordor is that he's, he's positioned geographically in a sense by blighting the land Mm -hmm. and making it treacherous. So, like the marshes are not passable mm-hmm. by most people and spe- especially not an army. Mhm. Right. Um you know, he's nestled in between mountains on you know, on the north, the west and the south. Mm-hmm. Um the 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 north which would be the most, you know, I think the most accessible access to him even with mountains is because, is shielded by the marsh. Mhm. And so so he's he's you know I think it is important that he's he's strong for a lot of reasons, but his fortress is also strong because in a way it's unassailable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah it's it's it seems like a hopeless situation, and I think something you said there sparks. What can often be missed is Gollum. Gollum first character note I'll say on him is it's easy. I asked my girls in the car today we're reading through the Hobbit, and I asked them like, mm-hmm. do you think Gollum's evil? And their both of their answers were, yeah, I think he's evil. What do you think? And I said, Yeah, he's evil, but he's written in such a way that Tolkien Tolkien does not want to lose sight of that. He is evil. He's wicked. But he also wants to make you, I think, feel sorry for him, to feel pity for him like Bilbo did, but and also to kind of be in awe of his his skills. And I think this chapter is one of those where Gollum leads them through the marshes, much like Aragorn led the hobbits through the midgewater marshes early on in in book 1 and gollum does it with basically no problem i mean he just leads them straight mm-hmm. through he never gets lost he never runs them through any bogs he he's seemingly just walking him through on dry land the whole time and mm-hmm. so i mean he is he is an incredibly skillful and and dangerous person but also yeah. one that he knows the land like he's scouted out and his his physical abilities are really fearsome, not in strength, but in the mm-hmm. way he can, you know, way he can scout and sneak and, you know, use his senses. And I think this chapter really kind of builds on what he's like and what he's going to do before it's mm-hmm. all over. And yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a really dangerous thing out in the wild. And so I think that sets us up for what what you had said, which is yeah. th- all that is really relevant I think to what's going on with right. Sam and Frodo in this chapter. So, right. Yeah. And so, and so then, yeah, we a little bit
1: different episode already. Yeah. Um, it, but I think, I do think the main point of the chapter, um, is that is that this chapter is, is a buildup of, um, of Sam growing in bitterness and darkness. And I've got a line I want to read. Um, and we'll, we'll probably, it's, it's, Pretty late, and I thought it was interesting because I think that um, I think that Tolkien doesn't often do this for us, where he tells you like he kind of tells you what the inner thoughts are of a character, or the in this case, it's not even an inner thought; it's like the status of the character, and and he doesn't do that often, and so it, it kind of it really jumped off the page to me mm-hmm. because because of how subtle he is um, with motivations of characters. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna read this real quick, and then I do want to jump back. <laughs> okay, and, and then kind of maybe maybe I know the narrative is is a little choppy because it is just marching, and mm-hmm. there's not like there aren't critical events. But I think yeah, we I don't need to be
0: chronological, probably. Right.
1: And so I think um, I think there's things I want to step back to, but um, so to set up this line, um, they're 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 getting close to coming out. So they've, they've been in the marshes for uh, the whole day, basically. I think they may even be on their second day. Um, and so the burden of the ring is is weighing on Frodo. Um, they are approaching the Black Gate. Uh, and, you know, and it's a grueling task. They've already been through the Inman Wheel, which was also a treacherous path. Um, and so there's there's that in mind. Um, and then there's just the relationship back and forth, which I I think we'll probably talk more about with, with Gollum, the way he behaves towards Frodo and Sam. Um, like some of the changes happening, but it says, uh, so there's the burden of the ring, the weight of it. It says Gollum probably felt something of the same sort talking about as Frodo, but that, but what went on in his wretched heart, wretched heart between the pressure of the eye and the lust of the ring that was near, and his groveling promise made half in the fear of cold iron, the hobbits did not guess. Frodo gave no thought to it. Sam's mind was occupied mostly with his master, hardly noticing the dark cloud that had fallen on his own heart. Hmm. And and so that last little part, I think, to me, was the, the, the big theme of the chapter, because it is building the relationships, is that every look that Gollum gives... Is Sam despising it mm-hmm. and growing in bitterness, um, growing in hatred toward Gollum, and and you know and you helped me unpack kind of the last piece because I felt like there was a parallel to the marsh, um, to the dead marshes with it, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And you you kind of you opened the door there um, with with what the marsh is about. So I'll let you you take over with that.
0: Yeah. So so the marsh itself is basically a monument in a way, like a foul monument to something that was really grand and and it's it's a pollution of something. So there was the there was the last alliance of elves and men that fought against Sauron on this battlefield when Sauron had the ring. So he was at full power and and it's kinda like these were the heroes of old. This is where, you know, Elendil and Isildur and Gilgalad, like these and Elrond, like these high people that that were powerful and learned they got together and they did what we've been talking about for chapters now like all of the people got together to fight against this enemy and you know they laid old quarrels aside and they fought and died on this plane like there were there was carnage you know and and it was a high toll but in the end you know heroically a sildor um, cut the ring off of sauron's hand and sauron was banished and undone and you would think, you know, in a virtuous society where you control the land, you know, there would be monuments to those that fell in this area. Mm-hmm. But kind of in a in a reversal of that, Sauron is never fully rooted out. Gandalf says it at one time. I think that that Barad-dur, you know, was defeated, knocked down, but not all the way down to the foundations. And so Sauron always kept an outpost. He was always watching. And so the this land that should have been a memorial to valor becomes just this ghostly death march that actually serves sauron's purpose and so what should have been great what should have been heroic what should have been valorous is a dead stinking thing that gives the appearance of life like there are plants in it there's water but Mm -hmm. very notably there's no birds Right, Gollum says no mm-hmm. crunchable is anywhere. That's really weird in an area that should have, you know, all these insects and water, wetlands. You know, wetlands and marshes have tons of wildlife in them, but but not this one. And it's because it's a it's a death swamp where mm-hmm. everything that should be alive is actually poisonous and like, you know, spewed out. And he gives he gives these descriptions of it being like acids and toxins. He, you know, I think the word livid it, the way he uses it you know the word livid means angry and furious but i think mm-hmm. in this case it means like brightly colored and just unnatural you know th- mm-hmm. th- that this whole area is unnatural and in the midst of this maybe our truest maybe our most optimistic you know to the point character sam has become anything but that into in this chapter and Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of it all gets flipped around in this chapter because Frodo is the one Frodo's the one who um, is not fearing anything who's trusting in the promise that was made. He trusted to hold. Gollum is just mad at the sun and the moon, right mm-hmm. But he's trying to do his best for for the hobbits and he's speaking them in a in a courteous way by his Sanders. And Sam sees nothing he likes in this whole chapter. Sam, right. Sam is, Sam is afraid and angry about everything in this chapter, yep. and I I think that is that is very strange. I mean, that's not yep. what he's like. That's not what he's been like, and it's not what he's going to be like. And I think once you start to peel the layers off, you start to see something that that seems really simple is actually just another one of these chapters where Tolkien is just geniusly building this thing that he's going to bring. And it's these low spots that are almost imperceptible. Like nobody thinks of Sam as being gloom and doom because of where Mm -hmm. he ends up and because of where he starts. But in this chapter, you know, people who say characters don't develop in Lord of the Rings. This is where we know that they're just not reading very carefully because Sam Mm -hmm. is going through an arc here, right? Where things are changing. And I think Frodo is too, because Frodo is going to change. And we start to see the ring as a character and how the ring works on virtuous Mm -hmm. people. So, I know that was a lot, but I, I think that 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 dark cloud that is so often, and I know we'll talk about we'll talk about that at length because that is the main point here. But before we get there and we lose it mm-hmm. on that, it's probably time to jump all the way back before they get in the marshes. They they're walking along a stream bed, and Gollum mm-hmm. just kind of <laughs> I don't know he's he's kind of like singing in the rain a little bit, and and I think <laughs> right. I think you wanted to comment on his song, so. I'll... Yeah. We can go there and yeah. then jump back to the nasty stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll read the song uh and I think I yeah, and then we'll we'll talk about it. So, yeah, as he's um says he seemed greatly delighted to feel the water as they're walking past this stream, sometimes even croaking in a sort of song. The cold hard lands they bites our hands, they gnaws our feet. The rocks and stones are like old bones all bare of meat but stream and pool is wet and cool. So nice for feet. And now we wish, and it stops for a second, but I want to just pause there because I think what, I think the, the last two lines, but stream and pool is wet and cool. So nice for feet. I, I thought it was funny because I think this reminds Gollum of home, mm-hmm. even though his home is a dank cave in the heart of the misty mountain, deep, deep underground. Mm. Um, you know, we know that he lived on an island in a pool and, you know, traversed the caves, picking off orcs or maybe even venturing outside occasionally for for other, you know, for other prey. Mm-hmm. But I think even, like, there's a, there's a, I don't, I kind of, I felt like there's a giddiness that you don't often get from Gollum mm-hmm. um, in this little song. And I think, I think it's, you know, in a small way, like the stream reminds him of plotting in a pool in his home. And as wretched as he is, home still has a value and a comfort to it. You know,
0: yeah. And and he really is he really is a character that's in turmoil because he's he's been completely solitary for centuries. You know, it, yeah. it probably when he when he talked to Bilbo and spoke the riddles, it was probably the first time any anyone had talked to him in 500 years, you know, or 450 Mm -hmm. years or whatever. And, and he, now that he is walking along with Frodo and Sam and talking to them and Frodo really is treating him with a lot of dignity and kindness. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what's happening is, is that Smeagol is in a conflict now that Mm -hmm. his enemy Baggins, who he swore to hate forever, but he's, you know, it's, their great. Braveheart line, an oath to a liar is no oath at all, something like that. <laughs> you know, Smeagol's made an oath there, but he made an oath he's made an oath on the precious to be good, but he also made an yeah. oath a long time ago that's complete conflict with this, and that's that he hates Baggins forever. Right? Right. So he's sworn to a baggins here, but what he's starting to find out is that Baggins is not the evil thief that he thought he was. Right. And right. and so he's starting you know, this is an area where Frodo, uh, Frodo knows and Smeagol is showing us that he's not completely gone, that there, there really is a chance here, like as bad as Mm -hmm. he is, and he's bad, but he, he starts to think like, man, the, the water was my life source, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm here and I can sing a song and somebody can comment on it. And he gets in the conversation and then, you know, he, he goes on and, he recites the poem, or he recites the, one of the riddles mm-hmm. that he had had with Bilbo, right? And it's like, yeah. you know he'd replayed those words thousands of times in his head after the encounter yeah. in The Hobbit. He,
1: Yeah, he even comments it, right? He says, because he ends his, his song with, and now we wish, and he says, ha ha, what does we wish? He said, looking sidelong at The Hobbits, we'll tell you, he guessed it long ago. Baggins guessed it. You know, and then he, and then he says the riddle, <laughs> at least a part of it. I think, I think it was a four line riddle and, and we get more here. Right. Um, Yeah. So, you know, so it's like, so even that, it's like, he's brought something that would have been a, a great sting to him, mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the past and, and recognize it and speaks it aloud and says, you know, and like, he's actually, he's truthful about it. You know, Baggins guessed it rightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know with no cursing in his mouth which is not common for gollum
0: yeah and he's kind of you know and you're starting to see that this this is a really good chapter for gollum right and mm-hmm. and at this point i think i, th- I think that sam is going to be wrong about him in this chapter mm-hmm. like i think yep. i think there is a chance that Smeagol is actually winning out over over his demons like there's a thing but he is he's so broken that there's, you know, events start to change this. But in this chapter, he really is true. Like, he's he's trying to find them a way. He is, you know, he's doing what he said he was going to do. He's trying to hide them. He's trying to give them wisdom, you know, how to hide from Nazgul. He knows the land. He knows the whole lay of it. Um, and I think there's a nice little interchange that, because Sam starts to worry about, Sam, Sam is is simple-minded, right? Like we've talked about. And so Sam... Doesn't really understand Smeagol at all because Sam thinks the biggest danger is that 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 Gollum wants to eat them, and mm-hmm. that just shows that he woefully he he just does not have a clue what's happening, right? That mm-hmm. it's not it's not Gollum eating them. That's not the risk at all. Mm-hmm. But right. but this leads us into a food exchange where Gollum's hungry, you know, his green fire in his eyes, which we'll learn is when he gets really strong and aggressive. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they start eating Limbus, which is the elven food. And, you know, Gollum, Gollum sniffs the leaf and just, again, kind of <laughs> like the rope, like just kind of goes crazy. Like, I can't eat that. That's disgusting. You know, elves. And so we're mm-hmm. reminded, like, Gollum's not cured. You know, he's still he's still got the poison. He can't appreciate what's good and beautiful. Um, and Frodo says this line and I I think it may be the line of the chapter right I Mm. I think because it's in such stark contrast to what's going on with Sam Frodo says says well Gollum says he will starve poor thin Smeagol I'm sorry Frodo said but I can't help you I'm afraid I think this food would do you good if you would try but perhaps you can't even try not yet anyway Mm -hmm. Frodo much like Gandalf with Saruman Frodo the, the kingly man that he is, right? The, the virtuous man has fully embraced the wisdom of Gandalf and said, you know, I'm not going to deal out death and judgment. And he has hope for Gollum. He has hope that Gollum will someday be cured and be able to eat the elven bread and to be able to appreciate right. the good things. And he's right. patient for that, but he's not going to force it right now. And I thought that's, yeah. it, it's such a good commentary on who Frodo is at this point. Right.
1: Yeah, and I think it is. It's continuing to separate Frodo and Sam. That Frodo sees Frodo sees beyond the moment. That um, that Frodo is the greater. <clears throat> you know, he's he's the master, but he and he's the greater because he has he has compassion. And I don't think that. Look, Sam might Sam might think that Frodo is like just wholly trusting in Smeagol. I don't I don't think that's true. But I also think that there's I think he's giving room for the promise mm. to you know to say like F- Smeagol has to prove the promise, and so Frodo's not going to fret over it um, you know and and the the penalty for breaking the promise was you know was the knife. Mm. Um, and in some sense Frodo's Frodo is trusting that. I think he's pro I do think he's watchful, but he's just not he's not cynical and, and bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not letting hatred
0: grow over him. Yeah, and I think he also understands like Frodo will say several times, like I think it will hold him now. You know, that mm-hmm. that Frodo understands that if this is gonna change, it's gonna change slowly and you're gonna see, for lack of a better word, you're gonna see sanctification in Smeagol over time and And Frodo knows that if that stops or if he starts to not see that, then it's time to get more watchful. But right now is not a very dangerous time with Gollum because whatever has happened, this promise and being with them has made Smeagol essentially happy right now. Mm -hmm. He's, (laughs) you know, he's dancing around in the stream thinking about getting fish. He's having a meal, you know with them and they talk and Frodo gives him kindness right here. Like what I just read is Frodo being kind to Smeagol and, and showing Mm -hmm. him hope and showing him grace and patience and all that stuff. And, and I think Sam, what, what's going to make this hard for Sam is that Sam fundamentally at the core, when you do the facts on the ground, right? The total facts of the situation, Sam is right, but he's not right right now. And sometimes it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter sometimes it doesn't matter if you're right in your mind about the facts on the ground, they have to bear out and they have to be proven and that, and Mm -hmm. it never should affect the way your heart works towards, towards other creatures. Right. And I think, I think that's the pit that Sam is falling into. And it it really is at the end of the day, because he's afraid that they're going to get throttled in their sleep. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's fearing for his own life. And that's just not a good place yeah. to be. I know Wilson, right. Nate, Nate Wilson did some just mind blowing stuff on that, on a cross politic, I think last week where he was talking about like when institutions or when people try to survive, they can't accomplish anything because we're all going to die. Mm. So what we do is mm-hmm. we charge in knowing that we're going to die and that's where a great victory is achieved. And I think that's what Frodo is doing. That is the quest, Right. Because Frodo, at no point in this does Frodo think about survival, right? Frodo's not thinking about how much food they're going to have for the return journey, right? He's thinking, I'm going in to do this tremendous task that seems impossible. And mm-hmm. Sam is still thinking about, you know, it's, it's good to hope. Yeah. It's good to plan. But I think it shows kind of the difference in wisdom and the difference in understanding the enemy, understanding all this stuff, is that Frodo's not afraid of death. Frodo's really not afraid of anything except failing in the quest. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think it, you know, it harkens back to an important line from the last chapter, which, you know, it's, it's the second part of be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, Mm. fearing for your own safety. And I think Frodo has, you know, Frodo has taken that counsel and, you know, and put it in his heart. And I think, and reflected on it and, You know, like, there's a reason that he says, now that I see him, I do pity him. Mm. Right? Like, um, when he was separated from the situation, he had 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 hate build up, but the face-to-face confrontation, you know, suggests otherwise. Even though their first action with Gollum is a treacherous one. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he sneaks up on them. He tries to escape them, Mm -hmm. you know, right away. Yep. uh, When they let him loose. And... And even then, and so I think the point with all that is that that the difference with Sam and Frodo here, with Sam letting the black cloud grow on his heart, is it's it's not wrong of him to not fully trust Gollum. Mm-hmm. It is wrong of him to, uh, to judge him guilty before he's guilty. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's also one of those things where what... So, so much on this, man, this, I don't think this episode (laughs) is going to be long, but there is, there is really something here because I think we have, we have so little training on what it means to speak with love. Um, And, and what Sam, the the problem that Sam is falling into is a heart condition, but it also, Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. And what Sam's heart is overflowing with is anger, distrust, and bitterness, and so what overflows out of his mouth is just constant sniping and harping yep. at Gollum. And whether whether Sam is right about the facts or not, that's not the way you speak in love. What happens, mm-hmm. what you should do is take a page out of Frodo's book. Frodo's not naive. And Frodo gets harsh yeah. with Gollum several times. And, and it's mm-hmm. always about, it's, when, when, Gollum, when, when Frodo speaks harshly or sternly to Gollum, it's always about reminding him of what's right, of what he said he would do, of the facts, right? The truth. Mm. and The treachery Sa- of the ring. That's right. Yeah. And when when Sam is harsh with Smeagol, which is always, it's always about self-serving stuff. And it's calling him names, mm. right? And it's it's turning Gollum into an enemy over things that are not the real issue at hand. And I think it's a good mm-hmm. lesson to learn because, again, Sam, Sam's right about Gollum not being trustworthy. But Sam is absolutely not right in the way that he f- he throws gasoline on the fire with the way he uses his tongue. And I think I think the way he does that just shows us that he has fallen into a trap here. And and I think mm-hmm. Tolkien is weaving that together for us and showing it because what's going to happen is there's, there's going to be a redemption at the end of this. And it's really subtle. Mm-hmm. I do remember it. It comes to mind now when this when this adventure starts to come to an end. Sam has an incredibly important line, I think, for his mm-hmm. character development, and and it's a it's an interesting one that he finally sees the wisdom of Gandalf at the very end of all of it. But Sam's blind to that right now, and I think this is probably mm-hmm. this is to my memory this is probably the harshest we'll ever be with Sam, you know, because this yeah. this chapter is a low point for him he he yeah. really has let it go and and frodo is really awesome in this chapter you know, yeah Fro, yeah frodo frodo yeah. is fighting the temptation he's he's fighting the power of the ring and uh and Sam is just Sam's just giving in so yeah yep any yep. other any other um, moments you wanted to jump at um
1: I think uh there was one. Yeah, it's probably really the Nazgul scene at that after this. Um, I do think the other thing to talk about is, I mean, we kind of did at the beginning is the place, mm-hmm. um, you know, of the dead marshes, and <laughs> that we kind of got caught in the preamble, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it is a treacherous place. I think there's a scene too where, like Tolkien writes, they get they get to a point where they're far enough in you know, he writes, the hobbits were now wholly in the hands of Gollum, you know, like Frodo, Frodo has trusted him to be the guide because he knows he can't get through. Um, and they're now like, you know, half day in or whatever they're, they're to a point that's too far beyond them, you know, them to get out. Um, and I think that leads us, yeah, that came back to me. (laughs) It's a, it's a scene that's really funny in the movie. I don't, it's not as humorous in the book as the Gollum Sméagol conversation, mm-hmm. you know that Sam overhears. But it's it's at, right, and it makes sense because it happens. You know, it's happening after like right? they're far enough in, they're at like Gollum could could finish them, <laughs> right? <laughs> he yeah. could run off ahead, yeah. You know, get away, whatever. And there's there's, you know, there's almost no chance for them. Um, even honestly, even uh, out here when you know when the Nazgul flies over, he could he obviously he's terrified of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't want Sauron to have it, which suggests right he he's more okay with Frodo having it than with Sauron
0: having it. Mm-hmm. You know, well yeah, but even there like he perceives that if Sauron gets it, it's game over, which uh-huh. is true. He perceives that while right. Frodo has it, he's still holding out hope, right. right. Yeah, and he's right about yeah. that, <laughs>
1: and he is right about that. Um, so yeah, so I think the next the next move though is is to move on to I think this conversation that Smeagol has with himself um, is interesting because it's it is given us that little that change um, of him where Gollum's trying to convince Smeagol to uh, you know to to take them out mm-hmm. um, to lead them on you know, to, to her, right. (laughs) You know, uh, which, which we'll get to, um, you know, and, or to, or to throttle them now. And so I think, you know, do you have anything on that scene?
0: Um, I think it shows it's, it's weird. Um, you know, Frodo had warned him before that the, that the ring is treacherous and that it will twist his words. And I think this is where you can see even, the good side is able to get his words twisted, right? Like we're going to, we're going to keep it from getting to him and he can't, he's, he is, Gollum is also craven, right? Like he has these physical skills, but he's also a coward, right? He, he, Mm -hmm. he is not, it's not his style. He does not frontal assault, right? He does not go at anyone. Even when he was in the caves, you know, and he had the ring, and he was invisible. He was sneaking up behind goblins and and you know, killing them at unawares when they were alone. And I think the same mm-hmm. thing is going on here is that he's not going to, he's not wired to just strangle him and take it. He's really only done that once, and that was to his best friend, you know, to mm-hmm. take the ring in the first place. So instead, what he's going to do is he's going to take a huge risk by biding his time and hopefully pushing it off on another creature. And there's a lot of risk in mm-hmm. that plan, right? Because mm-hmm. he's dealing with something that's well beyond his well beyond his ability and well beyond his scope. And I think in some ways it's another just personification of the way temptation works. And we'll go a little deep cut. I know you'll know it here. I've just read it, so it's fresh on my mind. I think the Gollum-Smeagol conversation really reminds me of, in, in Lewis's book, Paralandria, where... The unman is just constantly tempting the woman about, mm-hmm. you know, what she should do, how it's going to actually be good if she, you know, goes against this one rule that she has. And he's just doing it day and night. And I think th- mm-hmm. it really recalls that idea of just temptation that, that Gollum, the, the wretched side of him that's brought him nothing but mis- misery, right? He has he's had no pleasure at all. He's, he's utterly wretched and pitiful, mm-hmm. and yet he cannot identify what has made him this way. Like right, Smeagol's, Smeagol's chance here is to be true to Frodo and Sam and to yeah. carry on with them and live with companionship and friendship and fellowship. And, and in fact, he would have great renown and honor if he just mm-hmm. stayed true to him. He would He would yep. go from a villain to an absolute hero by the end of the story, but he blind and he can't see it. And his mean little tempted, wretched side wants him to go back to the vomit and lick it up like a dog. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's the thing he, he is so overtaken with lust that he can't see wisdom. He's, he's abandoned it and it's just complete madness and folly that he wants to jump into. And I think uh, you know, Tolkien does, he just gives us that. He shows us, you know, with the double-mindedness about how wretched he is. You know, it recalls James. Mm-hmm. James says that a double-minded man looks in the mirror and doesn't remember what he sees. That mm-hmm. that explains Gollum perfectly. Gollum has doubts right. gnawing him all the time. He He's just, right. he's wretched in every way. It's really just astounding the way he's written. He's so pitiful, just so mm-hmm. pitiful. And he talks in an yeah. animal-like way, too, it's just right. he's just utterly miserable. Yeah. He's just yeah. He's
1: he's broken and miserable in every conceivable way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I do think I, I was going to ask you about it because I think it's along that that line. Is that at one point when they see the the dead bodies or like the glowing? Gollum talks mm-hmm. about Gollum talks about. You, he says you can't reach them. I tried one time. I tried to sw- mm-hmm. I tried to swim down and touch them, but you can't touch them. They're only shapes mm-hmm. to see, not to touch. They're all dead. Um, <laughs> so I had this question. It says, Sam looked... Again, everything was Sam, right? It jumps off the page yeah. now that you said it. Sam looked darkly at him and shuddered again, thinking that he guessed why Smeagol had tried to touch them. Right? Why yeah. do we think Gollum did try to touch them? <laughs> to eat them? <laughs> yeah. I think so too, yeah. because the only clue we ever get about Gollum is he wants the ring and he's hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that is disgusting. Yeah, it's <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, these are what four thousand year old <laughs> corpses, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> there's <laughs> to be to be gross. There's no meat on that bone.
0: <laughs> no, no. And and once uh. and once again, Sam is this is another piece, right? Where it just, it boisters him in his notions, right? It's like this nasty little thing is swimming down in these disgusting pools, trying to touch dead bodies. Like, like what is wrong with this guy? Right. So everything he does is disgusting. That's, that's the narrative that Sam has. That's really Mm -hmm. good call. (laughs) Yeah. It is gross. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really gross.
1: Um. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the last part then is probably the Nazgul, Mm -hmm. you know, so the Nazgul flyover. Um, It happens several times, you know, Gollum Gollum goes fetal Mm -hmm. (laughs) position every time they, you know, every time they wheel over, Uh, and, you know, so he's terrified of them, Um, you know, and he's, you know, he says, they feel us here, they feel the precious, the precious is their master, Um, you know, and so I think, the threat to Gollum here—he doesn't understand. Like he still doesn't know what the hobbits are doing with the ring. Like he doesn't know what their mission is. Mm-hmm. Um, They—he knows that he's been asked to lead them to the to the gate. You know, but but he—you know—the I don't know—the Nazgul are are terrifying thing. It's it's interesting that someone that a character that is wretched, who's spent just centuries in darkness, you know how even to him the the nazgûl are just terrifying to the point of fainting almost mm-hmm. where he's you know he's completely enfeebled by their presence <clears throat> you know and i i think because because they bring fear you know to the surface you know like his fear is being discovered um you know, which is why he's a, he's a slinker that, <laughs> you know, his fear is always being caught and seen, um, yeah. you know, and found out. And and so I think like he gets, he gets small because, because that's what, you know, that's what his fear response is. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think they, they are also showing, you know, the Nazgul come and then right after that, we get that the mountains are no longer a shadow On the horizon that they could actually see the fence of mordor and i I think it is that Mm. reminder that we're planted here like we're in sauron's territory Mm -hmm. now and his his armies are all over the place and you know that usher straight into them entering the desolation of mordor where basically you can't Mm. hide anywhere that it and he says at one point that this land was so defiled and diseased that there's no way it could ever be cleaned unless the great sea came in and rolled it all away like it, mm, and it, and yeah. it's been built on the backs of the slaves of Sauron. That he's just destroyed the land, and and Tolkien yeah. is is not subtle about what he sees evil and domination doing, which is just to strip, yeah. strip the land for everything it's worth, build yourself towers and hole up, and you know just just try to spread your disease and cancer all over the place. That's and that's what yeah. Sauron has done, right?
1: Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that kind of gets us to the end
0: of the chapter. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think I've got anything else. Do you? Uh, no, I don't think so. They, you know, just, there's a couple of tidbits where, you know, Sam doesn't realize that he stinks. You know, he talks about Frodo yeah. and Gollum stinking. I think it's illustrative. I think, you know, I don't want it to do a thought to That I, I, It's not that. It is, it is story-wise is that what what we're seeing now is that Sam is bitter and has no hope. Frodo has all the hope and is fighting the ring. What's going to happen is by the end of this story, really by the end of this book, what's going to happen is that Frodo is going to have no hope and mm-hmm. he's going to be wretched and miserable and only thinking about despair all the time. And Sam is going to be the one that, that carries that torch. And there's and there's a faint nod here that, that Gollum is kind of like both of them in some ways, right? That he really does have that kinship with them because in Gollum's delusions of grandeur with the ring, when he's doing the Smeagol Gollum talk, he, Mm -hmm. he calls himself Gollum the great. Um, and he's talking Mm -hmm. about eating fish every day, fresh from the sea. So this is, (laughs) this is the extent of Gollum's power. It reminds me of Dwight Schrute, right? Where (laughs) on the office (laughs) where, in his fantasy he's the assistant regional manager making 80,000 a year and
1: <laughs>
0: Gollum, that's Gollum is a Gollum is very similar similar that in Gollum's dream scenario he's eating fish fresh from the sea three times a day right and that's why he wants the ring that's that's yeah the, that's his thing yeah. and you know that's where Gollum that's where Gollum was never going to amount to anything taking the ring he has no he really has no aspiration. He is wretched. He, he there's mm-hmm. nothing to him, um, right? And I think, I think yeah. for me, that's that's probably everything I, I saw in it and really wanted to do. So, yeah, okay. We ready for thoughts so to time, run with?
1: Time for a thought to run with. I'm quite sure it's your turn this time.
0: Okay, all right. <laughs> so, this one, this one's heavy, um, and it's about bitterness. And yeah, I think I think that bitterness is one of the absolute toughest sins to deal with. Um, and I've experienced it recently, and I think it can lay under the surface and be undiagnosed. And it can even be there when we say it's not there. And I think I think what makes bitterness so difficult is that bitterness is often based off of actual true things that were bad, right? Like So in this story, Sam's bitterness towards Gollum is because Gollum is a murderer, he's a liar, he's a thief, he can't Mm -hmm. be trusted. All of those things are true. And Sam Mm -hmm. lets himself go into hating every single thing that Gollum does and just stewing on it. Sometimes mm-hmm. in our lives, we get wronged by people. They lie about us or they, you know, they do wrong to us. And what we want to do is, in our culture, we're highly incentivized to say think, platitudes like, well, I've forgiven them. And I think bitterness hides under all that. And what, what we have to do is when one of the good tests that I've seen and, and that's occurred to me recently is I know that I'm bitter I know that I'm bitter if seeing something the person said or hearing about them brings out in me negative thoughts, curses, um, hopes for them to do badly, um, mm-hmm. wishes for bad things to happen. And here's why I have to say I actually I actually had to confess it to my wife last night that it's it's a dangerous poison that can live under our platitudes. And and what we have to do is what we've talked about several times is when that happens, we gotta call it what it is. It's it's sinful bitterness and hmm. we have got to you know, we we have an answer that's not available to Gollum in this story, right? Or that's available to Sam in this story. And so we can take it to the cross and, and Jesus is not tolerant of bitterness. You know, he he talks about the parable of the the debt being forgiven where a man was forgiven from from like billions of dollars of debt and he goes out immediately and calls in the debt and and castigates the one who can't pay him his 15 dollars back and what we always do where bitterness comes from is that we forget how much we've been forgiven of and like mm-hmm. Sam we think that we don't stink and yeah. like Sam we do stink and <laughs> And so I think that would be my thought to Roma is, if somebody's wronged you, or whether you perceive they've wronged you or not, think about it. Think about the thoughts that cross your mind when you hear the person's name, mm-hmm. when you hear what the person says. If it's something that rankles, if it's something that causes curses, if it's something that causes you know the German thing, mm-hmm. Schadenfreude, right, where you delight in them do, having bad things happen to them. You have bitterness, mm. my friend, <laughs> and at yeah. that time, it's time to pray and repent of yeah. it and get rid of it. Yeah, I think, um,
1: yeah, I think that's really good, and I don't, I really don't have another place to go with a thought to run with because I, I really like. I think that I, I think that that is the point of this chapter, mm. um, and so I think what I would like to do is to is to tag on with you a little bit and say, because what one thing that is happening that it's easy, I think with bitterness that it's easy to miss is that right. No, I think Frodo is the kind of character that would call it out if he obviously saw it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the point. And you're, you're, you're poking at that is that bitterness is something that's not obviously seen Mm -hmm. by peers because the thing you say might be true, but they, but you know, it it takes time to see, mm-hmm. you know, the truth of bitterness. Um, I think run out. I think, you know, and I think too. I think culturally, I just I think it's twofold. I think individually, I think spiteful language because that's what we see from Sam is like the cloud that settles on his heart manifests in spiteful language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for us, when spiteful thoughts come to the mind. That's a that's our that's our signal that's our red alert, um, to to turn from it to repent of it, and so I think there's the individual element. I think the things we can watch for with friends is I, I think like the cancel culture thing, like that's a heart of bitterness. Mm-hmm. Yep, is that look someone said something that I don't like, they're dead forever. Mm. Someone goes to the club that's not my club they're dead forever mm-hmm. and like that's bitterness and so i think that right like there there are men all throughout history there are probably things that J.R. tolkien said that i wouldn't like mm-hmm. <laughs> i actually i know there was one he said narnia sucked yeah yeah <laughs> i don't like that yeah yeah bad take <laughs> at, at the same time you know so bitterness says well he had a he had a wrong opinion or a poor opinion about this thing, well, then he's dead to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think, I think that that's a mindset culturally that just like that, what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we can't sternly speak to truth, um, the, of things that are explicitly sin. But I think it does mean like Frodo with Gollum, is it Frodo also knows what Gollum is and treats him with dignity. Mm hmm you know, in spite of what Gollum is, mm.
0: you know. Yeah, and I think taking a page from the Inklings, you know, we're the way lesser ones. Um, yeah. Lewis, Lewis, who wrote Narnia, was aware of Tolkien's opinion about the books that he wrote, and they were still yep. friends. And right. I think that shows us something here. And, yeah. you know, we got out of here in under an hour. Um, yeah. Sorry to, sorry to leave on the huge... You know the the downer, the heavy note. But if you got bitterness in your life, get rid of it. And yeah. you know, you can tune in next week when we talk about really cheerful things, like <laughs> the Black Gate of Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, take care and catch up with us if you're not there already. Until next time, bye.